everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Bad teams find ways to lose games. I've said it over and over and over again. And last night, sure enough, a bad team found a way to choke away a win. Because that's exactly what happened on Monday Night Football as the New Orleans Saints blew a double-digit lead with six minutes to go to fall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, you got to work really hard to find the ways this team loses, the collapses this team discovers the method to their madness. It is chef's kiss. Amazing. I'm not even a Saints fan. And I step back and I go, that's impressive. Like, it is impressive how they find ways to lose games they should win. Hopefully, last night will be the nail in the coffin for the season and everyone can now start to move on. No more dragging around. No more giving you morsels of hope because the rest of the division is trash. No, 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 no. Go ahead and say 4-9. Let's go ahead and do what I've been telling you to do or what I've been asking Saints fans to do for about two months. Is it time to give up on the season? Is it time to give up on the season? Is it time to give up on the season? Sometimes a duck is a duck. If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, you know what they say? It's a duck. Just saying. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. We do have a tremendous show for you on this Tuesday. Hunter Bauer will join us at 7.30. Our friend from gopreps.com to help preview every single state championship game. Just not the one that's the all-Acadiana one featuring STM versus LCA. Of course, we'll also talk about Vermilion Catholic. No, we'll touch on all of them to get you primed up, ready to go for that. Once again, state championships Thursday, Friday, Saturday down inside the Caesar Superdome. That'll be at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, Jim Gazzolo, the great one, will be joining us to talk all things McNeese. The men's basketball team got a win last night. Hopefully that'll get them back on track despite having several players missing the game due to the flu. And what about the football team? Guys have already thrown their names in the portal. Where does this put McNeese in? What is Jim hearing about what Gary Goff and his staff are doing as recruiting is heating up. And then at 8.30, college football playoff, Heisman talk, and more with our guy from Saturday Down South, Connor O'Gare. 
So those are the three guests we got lined up for you today. Of course, we're going to touch on some Raging Cajuns basketball, McNeese basketball. We're going to sprinkle that in. We'll talk about Justin Verlander opting to go play for the Mets as well. But we're going to lead off today talking about the New Orleans Saints. Here's some nuggets of wisdom for you. Tom Brady, the man everyone loves calling the GOAT, was 0-37. You hearing me out there? Tom Brady, considered to be the greatest quarterback of all time, was 0-37. Zero wins, 37 losses. That's what that means. In the regular season, and 1-43 in the postseason when trailing by at least 13 points in the fourth quarter in his entire NFL career. The man's 45 years old. Been playing for 20 years. Got all that hardware, all those rings, right? All those accomplishments. Once again, 0-37 in the regular season. 1-43 in the postseason when trailing by at least 13 points in the fourth quarter of his career. With the only win coming in the Super Bowl versus the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, and until Monday night. So Saints fans, all that gruff you just you've been giving the Atlanta Falcons for years, 28 to 3 jokes. Ha ha ha. 28 to 3 jokes, 28 to 3 jokes. You just 28 to 3 the Bucks on Monday night football. You just pulled the Falcons. You're worse than the Dirty Birds. Tom Brady accomplished something he's never done in his career against you. Congratulations. Where do we begin? There, there, there's so much to dissect about this game. Tony Dungy, Hall of Famer, Super Bowl winning coach. Somebody will have to tell me what the Saints were thinking in the last five minutes of the ballgame. Running out of bounds short of the first down. That was by Mark Ingram. I have further information about that. Needing some confirmation, though, on why he ran out of bounds. That, I'll get to that here shortly. Running out of bounds short of the first down. Throwing an incompletion on third and one. Single covering Mike Evans for a 40-yard pass interference. Us taking a sack on second down. Very strange decision-making. And Tony Dungy, who's like one of the nicest men on the face of the planet, had four uh, four question marks afterwards because he doesn't know what he just saw. This sequence of events is magnificent in how to lose a game. Like, what happened in the final five minutes of last night's Monday Night Football game, which, of course, you could have listened to, right here on the game is a clinic if you will it's something that should be shown saved put in the national archives for future generations to watch on how to choke away a game on how to epitomize being a poorly coached team with players that play poorly 
Warren Sharp's reporting this. And a lot of people jumped on Mark Ingram last night, including Kevin Foote, says he needs to be cut today. Warren Sharp reported on this. An analytical guy. Saints put an injured Mark Ingram back into the game. Second and eight, Ingram catches a wide open pass but ran out of bounds short of the six because he was too injured to go on. If you watch the replay, you see him after running out of bounds on a knee and it looks like a trainer's come up to him and he he doesn't look like he can get up on his own accord. So I have big questions right there. Why are you putting an injured running back back into the ballgame? Hey, a guy who may not be able to complete a play, let's put him in the ballgame, shall we? And a lot of you want to dump on Mark for that, and I get it. You say you want to tough him out, everything like that. I think also a lot of you didn't realize that he was injured and that he got put back into the ballgame. But then... So, he he's short of getting the first down, right? But it's not third down on that play. It's only second down, right? It's second and eight. So, you need one more yard. One more yard to pick up the first down. Saints decide to throw a pass. <laughs> You're one yard short. And you decide to throw the pass. Which, of course, is incomplete. Fourth and one, Bucks 44 yard line, Saints punt. There you go. The play calling was awful. Offensively, that last series was atrocious. Ingram's decision to run out of bounds, bad. You wonder if now he's seriously injured. He usually just puts his head down. The decision to throw the ball. The decision to try to throw to to a guy that got called up from the practice squad. Really? Offensive play calling, awful. Atrocious. Execution, terrible late. And the whole time during the game settling for field goals instead of punching it in. We've talked about the Saints offense being able to move it from the 20s, but once they get into the red zone, they're awful. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL. So they settle for field goals. You give Tom Brady time. You give Tom Brady time. You give Tom Brady time. We've seen this movie before over and over again. He's down 16-3 to with 5.21 remaining. And you know what Tom Brady did to the Saints defense, which to that point had played magnificent. Forced turnovers, plural, right? Two. They had multiple turnovers in this game, something they haven't done really all year. They hold a lead on the road. Defense has been lights out, frustrating Tom all game. What does the Saints defense do in the last five and a half minutes? Well, Tom Brady goes 14 of 19 for 118 yards and two touchdowns and was two for two for 13 yards on third down. 
45 years old. You let the 45-year-old quarterback carve you up. Everyone wants to put the blame on Mark Ingram for running out of bounds. He may have been injured. How about the defense? It's the perfect storm. I was texting with multiple people, and I was texting with our buddy Nick Fondo. I said it's almost like the Arizona Cardinals game all over again, right? Here it is. Defense plays well enough. Then the offense gets stale. They have to settle for three. They don't get six. They commit dumb penalties. And then the defense just wets themselves. They gave up the game-winning touchdown with like five seconds left. Like, come on, dude. Really? As soon as they started that drive, I knew then, game over, that the Saints were not going to get a stop. They're just not built that way. They're not mentally tough enough to be able to get games like that and gut them out. This team has to have everything go its way from start to finish. They're just not built right. They're not tough enough, mentally or physically, to do what it is needed to win the ball game. That was a masterful, masterful choke job. Once again, settling for three over and over again. 21-yard field goal, 29-yard field goal, 38-yard field goal. On fourth and two while punting three times from inside the 45-yard line. Credit Jeff Asher, and I will cite him on this. You kick field goals of 21, 29, and 38 yards on fourth and two while punting three times from inside the 45, you deserve to lose. He's not wrong. That's not winning football. Never has been, never will be. That's coaching scared. That's playing scared. That's losing football. It was the largest regular season fourth quarter comeback of Tom Brady's career. Good job, Saints. Even after Ingram runs out of bounds with, what, about 4.30 to go? It's third and one. And you throw a slant to Callaway? That's your play call? You can't have the red rifle put his head down to pick up the first down? For real? You don't have anyone on the roster that can pick up a, a one yard? Just one. It's one yard. Dalton took that terrible sack on second down, too. Oh, my goodness. It was awful. And they forced two turnovers. They had not forced a turnover on defense since October 30th. Think about that. And they get two of them in this game. But when it mattered the most, when it was late in the game, what did the defense did do? It folded like a cheap suit. Just folded. They gacked this one away. And once again, an evergreen treat, tweet by yours truly. Bad teams find ways to lose ball games. This is a mark of a bad team 
in a poorly ran franchise right now. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we'll actually hear from some of the Saints. Yay! Can't wait to hear what Dennis Allen has to say. <laughs> no. That's coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Yeah, you know, you know, the the pass interference obviously was the was the biggest play. Um, look, when when you play Tom Brady, like when you have a chance to put him away, you have to be able to put him away. And I felt like we missed some opportunities to put him away. You don't say, Dennis Allen, New Orleans Saints head coach. Breaking news. We had some chances to put them away, and we didn't. You don't mean it. 17-16 loss last night on Monday Night Football. Once again, uh, first time in Tom Brady's career where he was down by 13 points in the fourth quarter and came back and won. Never done it before. Until last night. Getting it done. Getting it done. DA is getting it done as well. Bad play calling. Late in the game yet again. Bad execution by the players yet again. Dumb penalties late yet again. Defense wetting themselves late in a ball game yet again. We've talked about all of those things. Those four things, bad play calling, dumb penalties, right? Bad play calling, dumb penalties, defense wetting themselves late in ballgames. Those three things, right? We've talked about that every single week. They're heading into their bye. Mercifully, we will not have a Saints game this coming weekend. (laughs) These are the same things. The same three things over and over and over and over again. There have been the same issues from week one until now. Nothing's changed. Like, that's the bigger thing is that you don't see improvement with this team. They're doing the same. They, they, they possess the same losing traits they did in week one as they do right now. Bad play calling, offensive play calling late in ball games. Dumb penalties. Defense wits itself late in ball games. I, I, don't, I don't I even got to turnovers. 
bad teams find ways to lose games. Poorly coached teams, poorly prepared teams find ways to lose games. I can get you any coach on the line right now. Peewee football, high school football, high school basketball. Whenever we have Danny Broussard on, the next time we have coach on, which will be next week, gearing up for the Suncast shootout, I'll ask him, and he'll tell you, man's been coaching a long time, he's won a lot of ball games. You know when a team keeps doing the same things over and over again, that means they're poorly coached. They're poorly prepared. Any coach worth his salt will tell you that. DA is not connecting with his guys for whatever reason it may be. Don't understand it. Don't understand why. But they do not rise to the occasion. They just don't. And look, this is him talking about last night afterwards. It sucks. It sings. It hurts. I love the emotion. What are you going to do to fix it? Yeah, look, that the, the, it, it, it sucks. It stings. It hurts. Um you know, um, we're gonna we're gonna you know um, get a little time in this bye to get rested up and recovered, um, and then we'll be back at work getting ready for Atlanta, and that's what that's what our job is. Our job's to get ourselves prepared to to go play the best football we can, and and so that's what we'll do. But their best football is not winning football. I, I, I like him being a little fired up there in the answers. That's the, some of the most animated we've seen from Dennis Allen. We saw him actually animated during the game last night, too, on the sidelines, if you watched it on television. He, he was getting fi- kind of fired up early in the game. That's great. Love it. You got some fire in your belly. Good. It's not translating into victories for this team. They found a way to choke away yet another game yet another game a game they should have won they should have beat the Bengals they didn't they should have beat the Cardinals they didn't they should have beat the Bucks they didn't they keep losing games they should win you know why because they're not a good team they're not a good ball club Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Chris, to the show. Chris, good morning to you. I got about a minute. It's yours, bud. What is it? Hey, good morning, everybody. You know, I want to tell you, an old friend of mine told me that life's about making choices. Last night, I made the choice to go to bed early and not watch the Saints game. <laughs> and it was a good choice, wasn't it? Oh, is it? I, that's a wise, you're a wise man. Wise man. I, I know you, I know, you know, I, I know you probably touched base on this or not, but uh, it's a little off topic, but Neon Dion Prime Time is head coaching in Buff- uh, Colorado Buffaloes, a one-win team last year. Uh, what's your thought? And and could Ed Ogeron possibly be somebody with experience to go in and 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 coach the D line or something something like that? Uh, but how how fast do you expect him to turn it around or be successful? Uh, just your quick thoughts. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. I'll touch on that. We hadn't had a chance to touch on Dion yesterday because we were talking so much about the college football playoff. So I'll, I'll, t- I'll touch on that. The Colorado job is an awful job. It's immensely difficult to win there. It, 
the challenge to getting guys to be excited about going to play in Boulder, which is lovely, but getting kids to be excited to playing there is tough. It's a tough place to recruit. It's a tough place to win. Dion will have his hands full, and I'm going to say something. I think it's going to be harder for him to win there than it was at Jackson State. And I understand he was able to win at an HBCU. But he was playing against other HBCUs that are in the same boat as him. Lack of funding. Lack of support. Lack of top-tier talent on the roster. right? It's an, it's an even playing field. Now, Dion did an immense job because, well, it helps that he brought his sons. Now he's bringing his son, the starting quarterback at Jackson State, with him and has already anointed him as the starting quarterback for Colorado. And Dion can recruit, and he's going to get some guys. It's already happened since the announcement was made that he was taking the Colorado job. So he'll be able to recruit. Will he be able to turn it around? Yes. I think Dion can win at Colorado. I think Dion can make Colorado back to being a bowl team. Can he make them a team that's competing for Pac-12 championships? And that I'm not so sure of. I, I just, you're going up against the likes of Oregon, which is funded essentially by the founder of Nike. You're going up against USC. You're going up against UCLA. It's going to be tough. I think Dion can make Colorado a respectable program. I think Dion can even maybe have them be a bowl team year in and year out. Maybe, you know, I think the ceiling, though, for Colorado is probably, you know, one of those seasons where they're, they have three or four losses and they play for a conference championship game and lose the conference championship game. That's where I think it is right now. Now, Dion could get in there with a great recruiting class in year one, two, and three and kind of change the fortunes there. Plus, he's getting a lot of different guys to come there. Could he get Ed O? Possibly. We've already heard that he's getting some other guys to join his staff that are head coaches that are coming there to be coordinators. Also, Ed Orgeron's name has been linked to the UNLV vacancy. I'll quickly touch on that. If the man couldn't handle the lifestyle in Oxford, Mississippi, and Baton Rouge, Louisiana, do we think putting him in Las Vegas is the right move? Just throwing it out there. Just food for thought. Got, I got no beef with Coach O. And I think he could do really well at a program like UNLV. But Coach O likes to have a good time. Do you want your head football coach who likes to have a good time? Coaching a football team in Sin City? Just just going to throw it out there. Just saying. But, hey, Dion wants to make a splash, wants to bring in somebody that can help recruit the West Coast because Coach O knows how to do that from his time at USC. That could be a good addition. Whether or not Coach O wants to be an assistant coach again, we'll find out. We've got to take a timeout. It's a good phone call by Chris because that's going to help us transition out of the doldrums that is the New Orleans Saints. Because, oh, man, they're so bad. They're so bad. So bad. But we're going to talk a little LSU football. Great news coming out of the program yesterday. New Iberian native, former Westgate High star Kayshawn Butte, says, I'm coming back for a senior season. 
when all reports had him, he was going to go to the NFL draft as a first-round pick. Huge deal for the Tigers. We'll talk about it next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the game wants to stuff your stocking with a $500 Visa gift card. It's the Christmas Comes Early sweepstakes presented by Almertal Jewelers. Simply enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score yourself a $500 Visa gift card. That can come in handy with these last-minute Christmas gifts. Once again, to score that $500 Visa gift card, you got to go register in our rewards club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes powered by Almertar Jewelers and the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Poll question of the day. That's a good one. What is the reason? (laughs) What was the biggest reason why the Saints lost last night. So many good reasons. Right now, 40% of you say Ingram running out of bounds. My rebuttal to you on that is this. You could have still picked up the first down with a better play call on third and one and not thrown a slant to Callaway. Your defense could have got to stop. Like, it's easy to make one guy a scapegoat. That's what we do as sports fans. It, it, it's easy. Uh, you're just going to blame it on Mark Ingram. Okay. There's still four and a half minutes left in the ballgame, right? Defense ended up giving up two touchdowns, right? Defensive pass interference call. Third and one play call. It, you, you see what I'm saying? It takes a village to lose the way the Saints did last night, boys and girls. Sorry, does. 40% of you say Ingram out of bounds. 29% say settling for field goals. Yep. Kept driving the ball. Kept only getting three. 17% of you say the wide receiver drops. There were some bad ones last night. Taysom Hill had one. Chris Olave had one. Jarvis Landry had one. There were uh, eh, there were some bad drops in this ball game. That could have helped pick up first downs. That could have helped put more points on the board. 14% of you say the defense late in the ballgame. Ton coming in off the top rope. The answer is all of the above. I don't understand why Allen is trying to run Kamara up the middle and Ingram outside. I don't either, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't. One is built for inside running. The other one is built for outside running in space. Yet they they have them with their roles reversed with Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen. I don't understand swing passes to everyone except Kamara. 
the whole dang coaching staff should have been left in Tampa. Even Nick Saban would be an upgrade. John Paul Cajun Daddy, if one of the three field goals was a touchdown, none of the other things even matter. Four more points, game over. Very good point. JPK, the OD, says, sorry, won't be listening today. Too much emotional trauma to relive. We'll be listening to K. Billy's super sounds of the 70s and trying to reset my calm because Ingram not putting his shoulder down for one more yard is damaging my calm. But it just wasn't Ingram. JPK, the OD. And there's a very good chance that he was injured as well. Which, if that's proven to be true, why did you put an injured player back in the game? And then having him catch a screen pass. Woof. Ralph on Twitter says, Today officially begins, Return all Saints-related Christmas gifts to the store. May be tough to find parking at Academy. <laughs> that's a good... That's a, that's a good... Yeah, look, if you're wanting to get discounted Saints merch for that loved one of yours, now may be the time. This could be, look, silver lining, thinking positive. Probably a little of everything, but the Ingram play was awful. Riders are defending him, saying his knee was hurt. Looked fine when he tiptoed his way a yard short. If he falls forward, stays in bounds, ball game. The season from hell is officially over. Mr. Green says, Saints are a poorly coached team, but I fully expected them to beat my beloved Bucks. I was wrong. I've never been more happy to have been wrong. Go Bucks. Little Neff says, they're still hitchhiking from Tampa, Allen and Carmichael. Nice. LC says, how about the throw up a pass interference prayer to Mike Evans, spot foul, worst penalty in the league. I, I, do, I do hate that. I, I absolutely hate that that's an actual spot call. I just it, The NFL just gets in its own way. Richie Champagne says, settling for field goal started with Jim Moore. Why is Taysom Hill on sidelines on third and short? That's a good question, Richie. <laughs> You're third and one. You got the bulldozer, Taysom Hill. Ingram's hurt. If you watch the replay, you see him fall to a knee as soon as he gets out of bounds. Apparently, they put him back in the game as an injured player and still ran the play with him. And he doesn't pick up the first down. But guys, they still had the chance to get the first down on the very next play. That was a second down play. Third down arrived. The only thing they needed to do was pick up a yard. Pick up a yard. That's it. That's all they had to do. And they called a set play to Callaway. While Taysom Hill is standing on the sideline, looking up in the sky going, Hey, what's going on? Oh, 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 it's, it's beautiful here in Tampa. Max says, you left out Dalton being unable to throw a pass beyond the first down marker on third down. Yeah, he is the king of that. That's, 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 that's a good that's a, that's, that's a, that's a good comment. All of them are good. Keep those comments coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter for our poll question of the day. What was the biggest reason why the Saints lost last night to the Tampa Bay Bucks? Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Randy, who's been patiently waiting. Randy, good morning to you, bud. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, good morning. I mean, uh, one thing we're missing here, the pattern. There's a reason that Tom Brady was owing the world, to, you know, down by two scores in the fourth quarter. And, and the only reason that the Falcons lost that game in the Super Bowl, when you're up by two scores in the fourth quarter, run the dang 
ball. There you Even go. if you go three and out, you can take four minutes off the clock. There it is. You don't take sacks. You don't throw screen plays with a guy running out of bounds. You don't throw on third and one. Run the dang ball. That's how you beat Tom Brady when you're up by two scores in the fourth quarter. That's how you beat anybody when you're up by two scores in the fourth quarter. But the Saints can't run the football. They 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 lack the ability to run it efficiently, whether or not they're calling the plays or not. This is a team that has lost that identity. They don't know how to run the football. I get that, but when you're up by two scores in the fourth quarter, oh, you no. don't even have to run successfully. No, no, you I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. And, and and why aren't you having packages in there? Let's say Ingram is hurt. Okay. All right, why isn't Taysom Hill in there helping you pick up first downs and, and running the football? Why is Taysom Hill on the sidelines when he's a battering ram fullback that you can just put in there and help pick up the first down? Wildcat quarterback, first down, done. It's done. You win the ball game that way. I don't. Honestly, I don't know why he's not playing quarterback in the fourth quarter up by two scores. He should have been in there every down, and it should have been run, run, run. There you go. It doesn't matter if the other team knows. None of that matters. It's a great point, Randy. Appreciate the phone call, bud. Enjoy your day, my friend. You too. Thank you. Yeah. Randy's exactly correct. Just run the football. Even if it's not successful, you eat up clock that way. Instead, after Ingram goes out of bounds, which stops the clock because it appears that he's injured, you still have a chance to pick up the first down and eat clock, right? It's third and one. Pete Carmichael looks on the old play sheet. He goes, hey, let's throw a slant to Callaway. Woof. Taysom Hill, you're a dynamic playmaker that can be used in a multitude of ways. I know what you're thinking. You can help us get the first down. But I want you to stay on the sideline. See, these are the decisions that are being made by this football team. <laughs> They're awful decisions, by the way. They're just the worst. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. We got to take another timeout. We'll wrap up our number one. We'll talk about Kayshawn Butte's decision to come back to LSU. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. All the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek of the new Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody. That's right. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting Whitney to 68683. That's Whitney to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek on December 20th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the I Want to Dance with Somebody sneak preview brought to you by A. Brian's Jewelers and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Before we wrap up our number one, Kayshawn Boutte, or Booty, depending on where you're at in the state, is coming back. He made the announcement last night on social media. It surprised a lot of folks. A little birdie from New Iberia, though, gave me the heads up on this yesterday morning that there was a very distinct possibility that he was not going to go enter in the NFL draft, that instead he was going to come back for a senior season. And sure enough, that's the decision he made. He wrote in a lengthy post on social media, 
uh, thanking his family, thanking God, thanking the coaching staff, and his decision was that he wanted to come back to LSU and do what you're supposed to do, win a national championship. This is huge. This is huge on two levels for LSU. A, an absolute stud wide receiver is coming back. That's one. You're going to have him, neighbors, the wide receiving core you could argue may be the best in the country heading into next season. That's one. And a guy that decided not to leave for the NFL is coming back. That helps your team even more so. This also tells me that their offense is going to take another step forward, whether that's Jane Daniels or Nuss or Walker Howard. That'll have to be figured out because the Tigers will have to make a decision. If you've got Kayshawn Boutte coming back with that wide receiving core of Malik Neighbors and others, you've got to figure out a way to get Jane Daniels to be able to throw the deep ball more because he does not do it. And when you got speedsters like that, guys that can get separation, one-on-one coverage, and get behind the DB, you got to throw it in a window, and you got to throw those 40-yard passes. Jane Daniels doesn't do that. Just saying. Kayshawn decides to come back. They either get Jaden to start doing that, or maybe they have an open competition. But either way, it's a huge deal to get Kayshawn back, and credit Brian Kelly and his staff for re-recruiting their own guys and not having a star leave. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Seventeen sixteen loss last night on Monday Night Football for the New Orleans Saints as they find a way to choke away another win. This one may be the worst one of the season. Tom Brady had never in his entire career come back from being down 13 points in the fourth quarter of a regular season ballgame and win. Well, guess what, Saints? you are going to be a nice little footnote in Tom Brady's legendary career because he made it happen. Actually, the only other time he's ever came back from being down by at least 13 points in the fourth quarter of a ball game in his illustrious career was the 28-3 Super Bowl against the Falcons. The Saints now share a distinction with the Atlanta Falcons. That's got to make you feel good, doesn't it? That gets a big old woof. Found a way to choke this one away in glorious fashion. Going so well, giving everyone hope, looking on social media. People are excited, but some people knew better. Shout out to my guy, Nick Fondo, texting me. He's like, uh, I said, I know, dude. 
Yeah, here it comes. Here it comes. And sure enough, there it came. And you know why Nick was able to do that? You know why I was able to see that? Because this is what bad teams do. Fans of bad teams hope and pray that their team will not be what they are. This is what at the core of the Saints team is. This is what you got to understand. This is not a good football team. They're not well coached. They're not well prepared. They don't execute. They don't do anything well. Why would you expect them to win? This is a team that's going to finish in the bottom five of the league this year. This is what they're going to do. I had hope for them and aspirations for them before the season because I was like, you know what? They got some pieces back. But every guy they brought in has floundered. I love Jarvis Landry. Guy hasn't been healthy. That's not contributing. Not helping. Alvin Kamara has seemingly regressed. Either looks disinterested or hobbled or not being utilized properly. They're not using Taysom Hill. Michael Thomas not playing at all. Defense has missed a step. And even in a game, because they hadn't had a turnover, the defense hadn't forced a turnover since October 30th. They get two of them last night. Two. Defense is playing lights out for what? 55 minutes? But the five most important minutes of the game, you know what the defense did? Just wetted, just wet the bed. Offensive play calling atrocious late yet again. Honestly, you could pull tape of previous RP3 and companies the day after a Saints game this season, and we'll be sitting here talking about the same exact things. Bad play calling, late in ball games, dumb penalties, offense not punching it in, not getting touchdowns, defense wetting itself late. There you go. There's your four things. We've talked about them over and over and over and over again. So when I saw that game last night and they kept selling for field goals, I was like, eh. Here it comes. Here it comes. And then you watch Ingram go out of bounds. And I watch the replay of it. And I'm thinking, why didn't Mark just put his shoulder down to get the first down? Why did he run out of bounds? And then I watched the replay of it because they didn't catch it in live. Watch the replay of it. And as soon as he goes out of bounds gingerly, he drops to a knee. Some people believe he was injured beforehand and they they put an injured player in the game really this is what we're doing put aside the fact that the player safety let's just push that aside what you doing how is putting in an injured guy gonna be helpful 
he obviously couldn't make couldn't even pick up the first down. He could have just put his shoulder down to get it. But literally, you can watch the replay on social media right now. You see him as soon as he gets out of bounds, he drops, he just drops to a knee. Like he took all the energy in his body just to get out of bounds. Why are we putting injured guys back into the ballgame? What are we doing? Like, why is and then and then you have that play, which by the way, got you a ton of yards. Sets up a manageable third down, right? Third and one. You got the unstoppable Wildcat quarterback, quarterback sneak, power fullback who pretends to be a quarterback in Taysom Hill. He's right there. He's right there. Not only is he on your team, he can play in the game. And he's right there on the sideline. And they're like, we good. Watch this. Watch this. Slant pass to Callaway, who hasn't done nothing all year. Let's throw a slant pass to Marquez Callaway, shall we? Incompletion, punt. Woof. That's what I'm talking about. The decision to put in Ingram back into the game when he's injured. Then the decision when it's third and one to not run the football. I understand you've struggled to run the football, but once again, you're telling me you can't pick up a yard? You're telling me you can't line Taysom Hill up at quarterback under center and have him fight for a yard? I watched this team for a better part of a decade have Drew Brees line up under center and just dive over the the, the, the center over and over again to pick up a first down. you telling me you can't do that with Taysom Hill, who's bigger and stronger than Drew Brees? Is that what you're trying to tell me? And the incompetency of not even having him in the game. What are, you, what are we doing? If you're a Saints fan this morning, you got to be asking, what are we doing? So the offense doesn't eat up clock like they should. The offense doesn't pick up the first down. You got injured running backs out there playing, being inserted into the games in late game scenarios, which last time I checked is probably not a winning formula. Then you call bad plays, stop the clock again with the incompletion. Once again, take away the Ingram play altogether. You win the game if you run a run play on that third and one even if you don't pick up the first down. Think about that for a second. Even if you don't pick up the first down, you at least take, what, 30 seconds off the clock? Even if you get stuffed. Let's say Tampa stands tall, and they stand you up on the third and one play. You at least kill 25 seconds more off the clock. How many seconds were left on the clock when Tom Brady threw the game-winning touchdown? Five seconds. If you just ran the football on third and one, you would have won the game. Whether or not you picked up the first down or not, you would have won the game because you would have taken another 25 seconds off the clock. This is not brain surgery here, people. It's not. 
It's not hard. Third and one, you're, you're up by double-digit points on the road. Run the football, eat the clock. And if you pick up the first down, great. Now you can even run more clock. This is not hard. The Saints make it way too hard. Pete Carmichael makes it way too hard. He overthinks it late in games. He's done it all season long. You could have won the game right there on that third and one play. Done. Game over. Done. Nope. Incomplete pass. Stop the clock. Let's keep it moving. Hey, yay. It's just unbelievable. And then the defense, when you need the defense to step up, they don't have to get a turnover. When you need the defense defense not to get called for defensive pass inference, when you need the defense just to get a stop, what do they do? They get shredded. Brady just sits back there and just picks them apart for two touchdown drives. There you go. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh, and let's not forget, thanks for Ralph for reminding me of this, because there were so many bad things in this game for the Saints. (laughs) Thank you, Ralph, for reminding me about this. How about the play action where Dalton gets sacked? You call play action and Andy Dalton took a sack on a play action. On a second down play action play. Kirk Merritt, a game day practice squad elevation, was the only receiver on the field. So, thank you, Ralph. I had, I had forgotten this of, of all the, the, the crud that occurred in late in last night's game. Yes. You dial up play action on second down. And Kirk Merritt, who was a practice squad elevation the day of the game is the only wide receiver on the field for this play action. Like what? <laughs> what? I just, I don't know what they're doing. I have no clue. I have absolutely no clue what they're doing, what they're thinking how they go about their business. It is mind-numbing how incompetent this team is. Salty Steve, always with a good DM. I realized last night that watching the Saints is like joining a fraternity. The big guy with the paddle smacks you on the butt and you have to say, thank you, sir, can I have another? It's a bit of a loveless marriage, isn't it? A bit of a loveless marriage, being a Saints fan is. Poll question of the day. We asked you, what's the biggest reason for the Saints' loss last night? 40% of you say the Ingram play when he ran out of bounds. 27% say settling for field goals. 18% say defense late in the game. 15% say wide receiver drops. If I could have given you two or three more options, we could have. And none of them even would have been all of the above. That's just how awful they were last night in that game. Hart on Twitter says, Xmas came early this year. Hopefully this quiets all the chatter of 
chance of playoff talks to do what exactly? Been a Saints fan my whole life, but this undisciplined, undercoached team would look like a Juco team playing in an NFL playoff game. Hashtag go Pels. Hart has already switched over to the Pelicans. You know what? I can't really blame them for that, can I? I can't blame them for going and deciding to put all his focus into the Pels. Absolutely. Why not? My old friend Daniel Green, my buddy from Leesville. It's more than just one issue. There are a lot of things wrong with the Saints. The last quarter of the game was a microcosm of the season. They're not a very good team, and it starts at the top. Mickey Loomis, as much as he has accomplished with the Saints, might need to be the first to go, and Pete Carmichael should be next. Richie Brown on Facebook says, I'm all in favor of wearing a paper bag for a few years and doing a total teardown of this team. At the very least, the OC needs to be fired today. Mike Trahan said, Gabe Brady, another record with the comeback. Gotta love the Saints. Brian Guidry says, a pass on third and one? Yes, I've been screaming. What are we doing? What are you doing, Saints? Todd Thibodeau says, all of the above. That's what makes them a bad team. You are correct. Edward Purvis says, all of the above. Jerry Fincher says, defense played well enough to win. End of the game, and they were burnt. Hell, they played well enough the last two games to win. Saints offense is weak. Cannot run. Stupid penalties that hurt drives. You're not wrong there. Not strong leadership. This goes on coaching. Did not feel D.A. was the man for the job and still don't. The QB situation is glaring, and that points to the GM. The Saints are a bad team, have been all year. Past time to pull the scab and start over. Comments on fire this morning, and I don't blame y'all. Got every right to be upset with this team. Got every right to be upset with the front office for the decisions that have been made that haven't paid off. And it sure does feel like there's not going to be an easy fix either, is there? Get all these guys under contract. You don't have the talent on the roster that you need. You don't have the depth on the roster that you need. How are you going to get that? Well, you usually get it with draft picks. Well, you don't have those next year. Philadelphia, who may be the best team in the NFC, has your pick, which is going to be a top five pick. Could be a couple of lean years in New Orleans. Kind of feels that way. Feels like the run has come to an end and it's going to be rebuild time. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Heisman finalists were unveiled. I'll give you my thoughts. A guy that was probably the best player in college football this year didn't get an invite because of an injury. And why are we only sending quarterbacks to the Heisman ceremony? That'll be next. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your Alexa or Google Home speaker helps out around the house. It allows you to control your lights, your thermostats, and so much more. But did you know that it can also play the game? Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. 
That's right. The game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. Once again, to have the game played on your Alexa or Google Home device, simply ask it to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. It's all about the Saints finding a way to choke it away. Let's go back to college for a moment. Finalists for Saturday's Heisman Trophy ceremony in New York have been unveiled. Georgia quarterback Stinson Bennett, TCU quarterback Max Dugan, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, USC quarterback Caleb Williams. First thing. Can we have the Heisman ceremony not be all about quarterbacks? Is that possible? Why isn't the running back from Michigan on there? I know he got injured against Ohio State, but he was one of the best running backs in the country for a team that's playing for the college football playoff yet not invited to the Heisman ceremony. I can make an argument that the running back for Illinois, who may be better than the Michigan running back, he's great. What about Bijan Robinson from Texas? I know Texas had a down year. They weren't a great team, but Robinson was an absolute monster. The Heisman has gotten lazy. It's become a glorified Davy O'Brien award, but bigger. They have a quarterback award. It's called the Davy O'Brien award. The Heisman is supposed to be for the best player in college football. That's what it's supposed to be about. Now, people argue, well, you got to be on, you know, a contending team. Look, 29 Heisman winners have been on teams that have at least two losses or more. 29 times. RG3, Johnny Manziel, spring to mind. So that's one of the arguments. And you look at this list, Georgia in the playoff, TCU in the playoff, Ohio State in the playoff, USC was almost in the playoff. Okay, I get it. And you can make an argument for all those guys, I don't mind Stinson Bennett being on there. I think you're going to find out on Saturday that the Georgia quarterback's going to be finishing fourth in the Heisman voting. And I don't think it's going to be that much of a difference between who finished number four and who finished number five. Remember, they only take the top four there in New York for the Heisman ceremony. That's what I think's going to happen. And, and to be fair to Stinson Bennett, because a lot of people were bashing him last night on the timeline. Majority of Georgia's games, he didn't play in the majority of the fourth quarter because they already had the game in hand. I want to say he's only thrown like 200 yards in like the fourth quarters this year or something crazy, because I'm kind of crazy stat like that, because they haven't needed him to. So... I get the the criticism, but eh, eh. 
Georgia's the best team in the country, and it's not close. Caleb Williams, is he still going to win it? Probably. I think the Heisman Trophy is wide open this year. I've seen voters, and I've talked to voters. They didn't tell me who they voted for. They just said it was immensely difficult. So that tells me that this is not going to be a landslide victory. This is going to be immensely close, like Mark Ingram winning the Heisman back in the day. Like this kind of close. That's what I expect it to be come Saturday. But the guy that should have been there is not the reigning Heisman winner from Alabama. It's the guy from Tennessee. Hendon Hooker was, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the country and the best offensive player in the country. And he gets injured and his season ends prematurely. He should have still been invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony. There's no reason why you couldn't have had five there. If you're going to have Stinson Bennett there and C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams and Max Dugan, you probably should have invited Hooker. He deserved it. He was by far the best quarterback before the injury. But I don't have a vote. I vote in other things for college football. I don't vote on the Heisman. But it's become a quarterback award. And... It's going to be immensely competitive this year. That I expect, but we'll see. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Welcome on Chad to the show. Chad, good morning to you, bud. What's on your mind, my friend? I made Chad wait too long. Chad had places to go. Chad, if you want to call back, bud, we'll love to have you on later on in this hour. We'll make some time. Hotline is 337-706-0111. we got to take a timeout. When we return, Hunter Bauer from GoPreps will join us as we preview state championship games. That's right. Let's get it. Thursday, Friday, Saturday inside the Superdome. Hunter will help us preview that. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know, the New Orleans Saints would be a lot better off if they somehow improved the IQ there in their front office and with their coaching staff. You know who could help them with that? Our next guest. He's the editor of GoPreps.com, the go-to place for high school sports here in the state of Louisiana. Our friend Hunter Bauer joins us now. Hunter, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Hey, Raymond. Good morning. How are you? 
But I think uh, I think the Saints need some help. You you can go down there and help them out. Try to figure things out. Uh, somebody with a, a lot more, a lot higher IQ than me probably needs to help them out. I don't know who. Uh, I don't know if there is any help for them right now. <laughs> uh no no there's 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 not really there's not really all right but before we break down each bracket and we have eight of them to do so give me just your general thought of the teams that advanced overall to the state championship round what's the what's the thing that stands out to you more than anything is there a theme kind of a trend so to speak well definitely you're you're getting a uh I think a really some really good matchups this weekend. Um, you know, as compared to last year, you're only getting I think two returning champions from 2021 that are going to participate um, in the uh, in the classic this week. Um, so you're definitely going to see some new blood in, in some of the some of the divisions, both select and non-select. And also, you're getting some teams that haven't been there in a while, such as you know the Rustins and the uh, and the Brother Martins uh, of in, in that of that sort. Um, you know, I just Raymond, I think this is, uh, you know, I think this is going to be the most competitive prep classic we've had in a while. Uh, I, I would like to think so, just looking at the field and who's playing each other. Um, I, I think you're going to get some really great matchups, even some rematches from the regular season, which I'm excited about, uh, especially from the Lafayette area. So, um, you know, if you're just a football fan in general, a high school football fan, you know, go buy a ticket. Um, you can spend the whole day in the Superdome each day. You don't have to go. You don't have to leave after each game like before. Uh, you can spend the entire day inside the Superdome and watch some high school football. Uh, and I think it's just going to be a good weekend uh, uh, this weekend there in the uh, in New Orleans. All right, well, let's get right to it. It starts on Thursday. Two games on Thursday, three on Friday, and then three more on Saturday. And let's talk about that first game. Oak Grove versus Homer in the non-select Division Four title game. Uh I was told early in the season when I covered Oak Grove taking on Opelousas Catholic that this Oak Grove team was down. They had lost a lot, so forth and so forth. Yet here they are playing for the state championship at the end of the, at the end of the year. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, you know, Oak Grove's just one of those teams. They get in the playoffs, and um, you know, they just get into a different uh, game mode, and um, they're off to the races. You know, Oak Grove did struggle at the beginning of the year. Uh, they had a couple losses. Uh, I think they went away from what they usually do, and that's running the ball, and that's what they're good at. And um, towards the end of the year, uh, end of the, the district races, uh, they got back to what they were doing, and they've just been on fire since. Uh, but they're going up against a good homer squad, one of the uh, two returning champions this year in the prep classic. Um, Homer's just had a, a very good defense. Uh, this year again, as well as a solid offensive, some solid offensive production. Um, so I think it's going to be a really close game. I really do. Um, Oak Grove may have Homer's number though. I don't know. Oak Grove's been playing really good as, as of late. They beat Haynesville 48 to seven last week. I think it was like 35 to nothing in the first half. Uh, they're just rolling right now. But Homer beat a good Mangum team, which a lot of people thought Mangum was going to go to the state championship this year. So uh, I definitely think you're going to get a good one to start off the prep classic this week. The nightcap on Thursday is involving one of our teams. That is going to be Vermilion Catholic looking to win their third state championship overall and their first since 2013. They're going to be taking on Perennial Power or Wachita Christian. That's the select Division Four championship game. Everyone can start listening to that at 645 for pregame kickoff set for 7 with Craig Wall and Ward Corville on the call on our sister station, 106.3 Radio Lafayette. 
How do you like this matchup, Hunter? Uh, you know, definitely going to be some uh, some offensive explosion in this matchup, but that's if Vermilion Catholic allows that from Washington Christian. Look, Vermilion Catholic's been really solid on defense. Seven shutouts this season, uh, only 58 points surrendered um, through the whole year, and they've only – uh, allowed double-digit scoring once, and I think that was in the second or third week of the season. Um, Coach Prejean just has his team uh, playing really solid right now. Uh, but Washington Christian, you know, they, they get in uh, these playoffs. They know how to win. They know how to get to the state championship. This is, their, I think, their third consecutive trip uh, to the state title game, um, beat a good Ascension Catholic team last week, and, and beat a good Glenbrook team the week before that. So uh, Washington Christian has been one of those teams that's kind of flown under the radar this year. Uh, they have a really, really good quarterback um, in uh, Landon Grace, who's thrown for uh, almost 2,600 yards and uh, 31 touchdowns this season. So, uh, again, uh, Washington Christians is one of those offensive juggernauts. Uh, they know how to score at will. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what, how Vermilion Catholic can stop these Eagles and uh, potentially get their first state title since uh, 2013. Friday starts off at noon, and it's going to be a dandy of a ball game. It's the All-Acadiana area matchup in the Select Division I title game. STM taking on LCA. These two teams obviously now play in the same district. LCA just put up monster numbers against Turlings in the semifinals. STM beat E.D. White, the team that eliminated them last year in the playoffs, yeah. In the semifinals, this is this should be the marquee matchup for a lot of folks. That the other one being the select division one matchup, but we'll get to that. But STM LCA, how do you like it, Hunter? No doubt, no. You know, everybody likes a good rematch, and uh, it's hard to beat the same team twice in one season. So, you know, we'll definitely have to see how St. Thomas More can come up with a game plan uh, to, to get over Lafayette Christian once again to, uh, to, to get a state title. And, you know, Lafayette Christian playing in their sixth straight, um, state championship game, which is just unbelievable. Um, you know, the Knights program has just risen, uh, you know, now that they're playing, uh, in class 4A and then in this division two select against some of the top teams in the state just goes to show you what, uh, coach Falk and, and that administration has done over at that school. Um, you know, I like this game uh, from a competitive standpoint. I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be close once again. A lot of these rematches have been, you know, blowouts uh, in the playoffs, um, if you look at them. But I, I don't think this is going to be the case. I think this is going to go down to the wire. It's 41-34 in favor of St. Thomas More during the regular season. Uh, and I feel like Lafayette Christian is just uh, playing really well right now. Jawan Johnson, nine, touch, nine total touchdowns last week. Um, in the semifinal win over Tarlings, and which was really the the score was closer than what it may appear, 68-46, but it was really close at one point in the game. Um, but Lafayette Christian was able to pull it out. St. Thomas More, Sam Altman get quarterback. Uh, you're just gonna have a quarterback battle the whole game. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to watch, and uh, there may not be a person left in the Lafayette area uh, come Friday. Talking with Hunter Bauer man behind gopreps.com helping us preview the state championship games that start on Thursday and go through Friday and Saturday inside the Caesar Superdome. He joins us here on RP3 and company. All right, bud, let's go to the game that's scheduled after that. Dunham versus St. Charles Catholic. That's the select division three title game. Dunham gets there by beating 
University Lab and St. Charles Catholic takes down Louis Cook and the Pios of Notre Dame. Kickoff set for 3.30 on Friday. What do you make of this matchup? Well, you have to give credit to, to Neil Weiner and Dunham. Look, you know, they, they go out, they beat Calvary Baptist, a good Calvary Baptist squad, and then they go and beat University Lab, which everybody knows University's history, uh, you know, multiple state titles, uh, frequently in the in going to the Superdome for the state championships. Um, this is a good Dunham squad. This is a Dunham squad that, you know, St. Charles is not going to be able to, to look past. Um, you know, I feel like Dunham's another team that kind of flew under the radar this year, but just some solid wins. Um, this is their first state championship appearance since 2004, uh, looking for their state title since 2004. Of course, St. Charles won it last year over Lafayette Christian uh, down there in New Orleans. Um, you know, St. Charles is solid. You know, they, they beat a good Newman squad during the regular season in, in their district play. And, you know, they go out, they beat Notre Dame, uh, Parkview Baptist. So, uh, again, you know, if if St. Charles is, is locked in and their defense is locked in, um, it could go in their favor. But Dunham's defied the odds all season long and through the playoffs. Uh, could provide some good fireworks for those fans down there uh, Friday afternoon. The nightcap on Friday is whew, it's going to be a good one. Non-select Division One, Ruston making a state championship game appearance for the first time in a generation. They beat yeah. Zachary in the semifinals, and they get to take on Destrahan, who defeated defending champ Westgate in the semifinals. That game is slated to kick off around 7 o'clock. Let's be honest, it's not going to kick off at 7 <laughs> for anyone that's covered the state championships at the Dome, the, the timeliness is not on their side. But Rustin Destrahan, man, this is kind of unexpected for a lot of folks what this matchup would have been. I, th- I don't think a lot of people had this lined up. How do you like it? You know, I, I, I really like this matchup. Uh, just to show you how old I am, uh, this is the first time Rustin's been in the state title since I was eight years old. So, uh, you know, those, that, that community is, is on fire right now. They're excited. They're pumped up uh, to get back to the, to the Superdome for the state title game. Um, but although they're the number one seed and they've defeated some really good teams, um, their mission's not done. This Destrahan squad is uh, probably one of the best teams in the state, one of the best underrated teams in the state, should I say. Um, you know, they just they would beat uh, their opponents. Uh, pretty handily, and people are like, yeah, we just don't know about this team. Then they go and beat East St. John, who a lot of people thought East St. John was going to have a really good run, uh, maybe to the Superdome this year. Go and beat them handily. Ended up beating them again in the quarterfinals. Take down a good Westgate team, which I would have loved to see in a Rustin Westgate matchup in the Superdome, but uh, beat a good Westgate team to get there. Um, You know, again, just a lot of unknowns about Destrahan, but this is a, a good squad that could upset the number one seed um, uh, Friday night. But uh, I think that Superdome is going to be rocking because, you know, these two, uh, Destrian hasn't even been to the state title game uh, since over they've 2019, but they haven't won since 2008. So both teams are hungry to get that first win in a while. Uh, Superdome's going to be rocking, uh, but don't count out Rustin. Uh, they've just been on fire. Dyson Field's a good running back. Uh, but Destrahan's going to be coming for him. Uh, but either way, we're going to get a, a new state champion uh, uh, out of the Class 5A for a little while. I know this Division One now, but uh, out of the Class 5A, uh, we're going to get a new state champion. That's going to be exciting. 
Saturday noon, North DeSoto versus Lutcher in the non-select Division II matchup. North DeSoto takes out undefeated Iowa in the semis. Lutcher beats West Feliciana. What do you make of that matchup? You know, this is one of those games. I think it's just going to be a toss-up, Raymond. Uh, North DeSoto, first state championship appearance in school history, uh, taking down a, the number one seeded Iowa, a really good Iowa team, by the way, who had a really, really good offense, uh, defense. Excuse me, defense. Um, North DeSoto just has weapons all over the place offensively. Um, you know, Luke Delafield, a freshman quarterback, leading the, the Griffins to a, uh, a state title appearance. Uh, just goes to show you how much uh, – talent they have up there uh but you can't uh count out Lutcher and Dewanye Winfield uh, just a dual threat quarterback can do it all uh for the Bulldogs um Dwayne Jenkins he's been to the state title game multiple times won it uh but North DeSoto has uh, Dennis Dunn as well who everybody knows led Evangel to multiple state titles back in the day so he knows how to win a state title or two himself I think this is going to be a fun game to watch in general um, I think this is going to be another game. Like I said, it's going to be a tall sub. It's going to be a close one. Um, but I will say this. North DeSoto has had some games where they've been kind of wishy-washy as far as uh, uh, their offensive production. Um, you know, they were supposed to be Northwood Shreveport for the, the district title uh, earlier in the season, and uh, they ended up losing in the regular season to Mally. Um, so if they're not on their A game, Lutcher could come in and sweep in and get that state title game. But I don't look for that to happen. I think Coach Dunn has those uh, Griffins locked in and, and ready to go win a state title game. All right, let's hurry and let's go to a non-select division three, three thirty on Saturday. Manny Tigers, they become a perennial powerhouse. Tackett Curtis, one of the best prospects in the state. He's a tackling machine. He's gonna go play at USC for the Trojans. On the other side, Union Parish, Trey Holly, the LSU commit, one of the state's best running back, if not the best running back in the state. They're going to battle it out in the non-select Division Three title game, Hunter. Yeah, the tagline for this is going to be smash-mouth football. If you want to see good old um, uh, traditional smash-mouth high school football, go watch this game. Manny and Union Parish uh, rematch from last year in the regular season. Uh, I think Manny ended up getting the win over Union Parish. But you got two of the best players in the country going at each other and Tackett Curtis from Manny. Um, and uh, and Trey Holly from Union Parish. So, uh, yeah, just uh, two really good football teams know how to run the ball, um, play really solid defense. So uh, pretty excited to watch this game. Uh, it's going to be another close game, I think, as well. And then we get a great finale of championship weekend in the select Division One game. Brother Martin making its first state championship appearance, I do believe, since 1989. Yep. They're, they're taking on John Curtis. This is going to be a battle in New Orleans. Can't think of a better way to wrap up the championship weekend. Absolutely, this is a uh, this is a, I think a, a game that everybody's looking forward to. Um, I know a lot of people were thinking Ed Nakar was going to get to the state finals this year, but uh, a John Curtis brother Martin matchup. Uh, it's unique, and uh, you know John Curtis hasn't been to the state title game. Uh, in which is crazy, almost four or five years. And then Brother Martin, their first appearance since 89. Uh, so, again, a new champion out of the Class 5A uh, uh, classification uh, for this uh, select Division One group. So, um, you know, John Curtis beat them 23-14 in the regular season, so I'm sure they're favored to go going into this game. Uh, but Brother Martin's been on fire. They've beaten a lot of good teams, uh, St. Augustine, Northwood, out of Shreveport, and Karen Crow. So, uh, 
Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, but um, I'm, I'm, you got to give the nod to John Curtis. They've just been playing uh, on fire all season long, beat a good Catholic team last week. Hunter, appreciate your time. Brother, enjoy all the championship games, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, Raymond. Thank you so much. We've got to take a timeout. Wrap up hour number two. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Justin Verlander signs a two-year deal to go pitch for the New York Mets. Look, JV is amazing. And what he's been able to do in his career, winning a couple of Cy Youngs, helping the Astros win a couple of World Series championships, no hitter. The accomplishments are great. But JV made a business decision. He signed a two-year, $86 million deal with the Mets. He's 39 years old. He's about to turn 40. Astros weren't going to pay him $86 million for two years. Not for a 40-year-old pitcher. Great year coming, coming off the Tommy John surgery. Gets the Cy Young. Not going to hate him whatsoever. 18-4, and four, ERA of 1.75, struck out 185 batters. Great season. But if I'm an Astros fan, maybe you're a little bummed that he's going to play for the Mets. Be reunited with his former Detroit Tiger teammate, Max Scherzer. Give them a one-two combination since Jacob deGrom left in free agency to sign with the Rangers. But just remember this. The Houston Astros lost Garrett Cole. Still made it to an ALCS. They lost Zach Greinke. Still made it to a World Series. This is what they do. Verlander's great. More than likely going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But the Astros will be just fine. Remember, when they didn't have Verlander because he was out with Tommy John, what did they do two years ago? Made it all the way to the World Series without him. The pitching staff with Framer Valdez and Christian Javier and Lance McCullers Jr. and Jose Arquiti and Hunter Brown, Luis Garcia, they're going to be just fine, which is an odd thing to say, losing a Cy Young Award winner. Hour number two, done. Hour number three, Jim Gazzolo will join us to kick off things here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. We're trying to be chipper on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. Well, I assure you that Kevin Foote will not be chipper when he takes over for footnotes at 9 o'clock. <laughs> That's going to be, rest assured, will not be a enjoyable few hours for Kevin. Don't forget, what's the cause for last night's loss? A lot of you say the Mark Ingram play. Look, I get it. 
but you had third and one right after there. Why couldn't you pick up the third and one? Why couldn't you pick up third and one? Why couldn't you pick up third and one? You want to blame it on one guy. It's the lazy thing to do in sports. In sports fandom and sports talk, you want to blame one guy. It's the easiest thing to do. We talk about it all the time that it's a team sport, right? A team sport. Football's a team sport. It's just not the quarterback. It's just not the running back. It's a team sport, right? So why are y'all trying to blame one guy? Who apparently was injured. Why is an injured player even in the game? Let's start there. And when it's third and one after that, third and one, you decide to throw a slant pass on third and one. Why not put Taysom Hill into the ball game and just run the football like we've seen Taysom do, I don't know, a bazillion times? For years, Drew Brees would line up when it was third and one and dive over the line and get the first down every single time. Why isn't that in the playbook? It's easy to blame one guy for the loss, but it's a team sport. Teams lose games, not one player. Mark Ingram, bad play, absolutely. Play call on third and one, bad. Andy Dalton taking a sack on a play-action play, bad. The fact that Kirk Merritt was the only wide receiver on the field on that play-action play, bad. The defense not able to stop Tom Brady on the last two drives, bad. Defensive pass interference call, bad. Bad teams lose games this way. Bad teams lose teams this way. But if you want to blame one guy, you're being lazy. You want to blame one guy for the loss? That's being lazy. That's like Bills fans blaming the Super Bowl loss to the Giants on Norwood. There's other factors. It's a team sport. If you're going to pound the table saying it's a team sport, you can't blame a loss on one play, on one guy. It's not how it works. That was a total team effort of disgustingness in the last five minutes of that game last night. Everyone should be held accountable. Everyone. From Mickey Loomis all the way down. Period. A team that didn't lose in disgusting fashion last night was the McNeese Cowboys men's basketball team. To talk about that and what's going on with the transfer portal for the football team is our good friend from the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show and... Host of Poke Nation, Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm not as salty as you, that's for sure. Well, everyone wants to blame everyone wants to blame the loss last night on one guy. Last time I checked, Mark Ingram. Last time I checked, Mark Ingram isn't throwing slant passes on third and one. Last time I checked, he's not playing defense and can't tackle guys on the final two drives. And giving up defensive They're pass interference calls. And nine. I know, but they want to have a scapegoat. The most easiest and laziest thing to do is to make one person a scapegoat for a loss. How about Tyson Hill? Hang on to the football. Yeah, there you go. He had the drop. How about all the wide receiver drops last night? How about your four and nine and you are what your <laughs> record says you are? <laughs> it's just you are what you are. <laughs> You're not wrong, dude. You're not wrong. All right, let's get to this McNeese men's basketball team. They needed a win in a big way, right? I know the competition's not great. (laughs) Right? Uh, It's the name of a college that I can't even pronounce. 
and nor do I know where it's at or located. Uh, uh, but what, what, what can you? Somewhere's in Texas. But what can you tell us about last night's win? Uh, they scored 103 points. They gave up 68, and the first half was pretty much a debacle for even McNeese. They gave up 38 points in the first half. Um, I would say on a grading scale, they were a C minus, maybe a D plus. It's hard to say because of the level of competition. But if you want to be honest, they only had nine players because of the flu and injuries. Um, they There was a time when it was obviously a training session because John Aiken, every time they gave up a basket, put in four new players uh, to prove a point that it hurts to give up baskets because they were giving up layups the whole game in the first half. And he couldn't substitute all five because he only had four others dressed. So he had four go in, and one guy through a lottery system got to stay in. That's the kind of night it was. They had some players dealing with the flu as well, right? A little under the weather. Yeah, yeah. They, they, haven't, they have not had a full practice uh, since the Baylor game two weeks ago. What do you make of what this team has done so far? Um, I know it's early, but what's what, what's your assessment of the Benice men's basketball team? Uh, inconsistent and not a complete team yet. They, you take the Tennessee trip. Play very well offensively against Middle Tennessee, except for free throw shooting where they go nine of or 8 of 27. You miss 19 free throws, and you lose by three. Uh, you come back play very well defensively against Tennessee, hold Tennessee to 30 points at halftime, but you're in the 40s for a game. Your offense is terrible. It's just been an inconsistent team, um, too many turnovers. The shooting was better last night, which is always a good sign because when they go to Northern Iowa, they're going to pack in the zone and they're going to give you the three-point shot. Uh, but that's and also an incredibly tough schedule. By the time – this month is over. They will have played the number one team in the country for the first time ever in Houston. If they stay there, they will have played four top 25 teams, uh, four top 20 teams, actually, and been on the road for the, almost the entire month of December. So it, it's, that's what happens when you have to play money games. Um, but the inconsistent play, I think, is the biggest issue is can they write the ship in time to kind of figure out where the pieces go in time for when they open at Lamar on New Year's Eve. What's the thing that you feel John Aiken needs to have his team improve the most on in between now and New Year's Eve? Without question, hanging on to the basketball. Getting a rotation in to where they're comfortable with running the offense and making sure they had, they had more turnovers again last night. Turnovers kill this team because they rebound pretty well. They can't shoot. They got some shooters. They got some inside beef, but they're not getting up enough opportunities to score at times. And uh, they've, they've had trouble handling the pressure. A press has gotten to them a little bit, and that's without that's because they don't really have a true point guard. So. But I was told, or I thought I was told, I could be remembering this differently, that they were addressing the point guard issue and that they were going to have a guy that was going to play point for them this year. What happened? That's a very good question. (laughs) 
Uh, officially, he has been cleared to play, I've been told, and has said that he just he doesn't feel right and his leg is still bothering him. Um, we're talking about the sophomore from South, Southern Mississippi who transferred in. Now there's some questions as to when they'll have him play, if he'll be able to play. Uh, and that changes everybody in the lineup because that creates a problem at depth of point guard. Trey English now moves back to the point some. He is a shoot-first point guard. Uh, Blackwell plays some at the point guard. He's not a two-point guard. They have to go with uh, Darren O'Day some, a freshman. It just changes the rotation quite a bit without the true point guard situation settled. Once they settle that, if they can settle that, then I think they got some pieces in place that can do some things. Uh, that's the biggest question mark, though, is going to be can they get somebody who can implement and run the offense and get everybody the better? You know, the point guard is like the quarterback, we always say. He makes everybody better around him. Can they get somebody who is a pass-first guy to kind of control everything? I guess the other big challenge for Aiken is with the brutal non-conference schedule that they have in front of them still, worrying yeah. about not having confidence by the time you do get to conference play is going to be an immense hurdle as well because you're dealing with guys, some new faces, and look, they didn't win a lot of games last year either. These things can snowball on you. Is that the other big challenge for Coach Aiken in his second season? Sure, I think that I think that's a challenge for any mid major that that goes into uh, four money games against top twenty five teams. Let's face it; that's that's the reality. The I think the problem we have is this is a schedule set up to be competitive and five hundred going in. In other words, you have they had the three home games for mid majors. They only won one of them. Right. Uh, it was against Lamar, which is a conference foe, which is nice but they weren't competitive in the other two, really. They have a mid-major game when they go to Tennessee against Middle Tennessee, a winnable game, a game where they actually played better but missed their free throws. Not winning that game now makes the Tennessee trip go 0-2 instead of 1-1, and you're feeling good about yourself. They have the same situation this week going to Iowa. They play Northern Iowa, a winnable game. This is a mid-major, good basketball team, don't get me wrong. But they've set up a schedule that isn't, they're not going one and done and coming back at Iowa State, picking up the check and coming back. They're playing a mid-major to kind of give themselves a chance. Um, same when we went to Tulane. They were in the game at Tulane. They were in the game at Baylor, ironically, at halftime. But they're not – they can't put a full game together. And that, I think, is becoming the issue that can wear on you because then you start to wonder when's it going to hit again. The rest of their schedule for the month, after this week, they get Southern Miss, they get Lafayette at home, then they go to Southern Mississippi, and then they go to number one Houston. And that sets up the game. Then, then you go into your conference. So you got to pick and choose what is a win, what isn't a win, and kind of build on what you're doing on the floor. They haven't had enough success consistently in one part. Like I said, they'll play good in defense one game, good in offense the next, but never put it together. Talking with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press, Meanies Coaches Show, and Poke Nation. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. 
You, you always make it sound like I'm so busy with all these things. Why you are I busy. Time for you. If I was that busy, I wouldn't have time for you. You are multi. Bellish. You are the multimedia superstar of Lake Charles. This has you already been decided. You embellish my role. I, I what? Are you not the host of the Meet Nice Coaster Show? Uh, yes, 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 you are accurate. I am accurate because you get paid for that. I, I'm aware because I sign it every month. Uh, you also <laughs> are the host of Poke Nation, which is on television. And uh, I see your byline in the Lake Charles American Press all the time. Well, more well, online these days. Because apparently they put somebody else's byline on my story. So, so well, that, that's happened before. That's happened before. All right. Yes. Let's switch over to football. It's recruiting season. Uh, Gary Goff is hitting the ground running with his staff. They finished the season strong, but obviously this is going to be a key recruiting season. What can you tell us? What's the latest on guys that are leaving the program? Let's start there. Guys that have thrown their name into the transfer portal. What's the latest? Well, really, they, they, they've surprisingly, we have not seen a lot of these players throw their name in. Mason Pierce is obviously the biggest name. Everybody else has been kind of expected. There's a couple of kids that didn't play all year. Um, Cam Ramsom has is, is, thrown his name into the transfer portal i don't think that was a surprise but we haven't seen a lot of big names like you know people that were worried about mike davy maybe doing it he hasn't um so i i'm a little surprised that we haven't seen more of that but that speaks well for what they did and what they did accomplish for the first year the rest of the conference though well it's it's up for grabs we got people leaving everywhere we got coaches leaving everywhere coaches are in the transfer portal um but uh, I think it's interesting the Southeastern coach last night on his radio show said he's not taking the Lamar job. So that is that is uh, the four jobs in um, Texas, which is big, are open. That means that they're not able to kind of get a recruiting base right now. And Gary Goff is very excited about that because he thinks he could maybe steal a couple of players that would have gone to those schools anyway. So now he's thinking if they don't, you know, they're they're giving us the opportunity that we haven't had for years here. The last few years, the McNeese coaches haven't been in place. Now you've got coaches from the Houston schools, especially area, not in place. And maybe Goff thinks he can get a couple of kids that maybe would have gone elsewhere to come to Lake Charles. How aggressive do you believe they're going to be in the portal? Uh, I think they will not be as aggressive as most people think. I think they will be selectively aggressive. How's that? I think he wants to go high school, and he wants to go junior college, and pre- predominantly junior college. He w- he has made a couple of offers to people in portals already, but I think they're, they're going to wait and see and maybe say, we'll, we'll pick out a few spots, and we want to build junior college and high school first, and we'll selectively go in. We have to go get some defensive backs in the portal. We have to probably maybe – get a quarterback in the portal. But I don't think they'll go over crazy on it. I think he wants to do the junior college route to get his experience and do the uh, high school route the other way. So they're going to be selective, which I agree. And I think that's more of his kind of mantra and mindset, right? He wants to bring in guys, either Juco or high school guys that he can develop. He just doesn't want to take guys out of the portal constantly. Let's talk about the Southland Conference in general because yes. I want to talk more about that Southeastern development because Frank Selfo, who is from New Iberia area, he's from the Acadiana area, he's had an immense amount of success there. 
at Southeastern. Apparently, Lamar was trying to make a play for him. Southeastern ends up made pony, him an offer. Made him offer. Southeastern is forced to keep him in house and make give him more money. Uh, how rare is that? That in conference like that. In the Southland, it's really rare. Uh, I've I've never I can't remember hearing of a head coach in the Southland um, being kind of poached. I, I I just don't recall it ever happening. I'm sure it probably has. Um, or, or a guy has come back into the Southland Conference. I've heard of assistants, but I haven't heard of a head coach. <laughs> and um, I I talked to. I talked to uh, athletic director he swore the niece about it, and this is this is what we're seeing is kind of a commitment to football that we haven't seen before. Houston Christian never fires coaches, and uh, their coach resigned, um, probably under pressure, from what I understand, with a year left on a contract. Lamar, let's go with Blaine Morgan immediately after the season. Um, Commerce, surprisingly doesn't renew its contract, can't come up to an agreement with their coach, which I thought was a surprise because I thought they had a good year. And, of course, Incarnate Word will have an opening the minute uh, they're knocked out of the playoffs. I think that what we're seeing is a commitment from some of the other schools that are struggling that we're going to pay for and go out. You don't you don't make the run at, at Frank if you're Lamar unless you think you've got a pretty good deal on the table. Because that opens up too many, uh, I don't know, um, scars in the conference when it comes to ADs meeting with each other. Uh, but it does show that I think there's commitments to football that hasn't been there before. I look at a lot of this as maybe the incarnate word situation, how they've grown, and the fact that McNeese has now invested in football more than before with their with their first million-dollar contract with uh, um, Gary Goff. There's a lot of things there that say the conference is trying to play catch-up. Can they do it? How will they do it? I don't know. But that's – I think it's kind of fun to watch. It's always fun having you on, bud. We do know that. Keep up the great oh, work. great segue. What a segue. <laughs> a master segue. That is professionalism. It as – ah. Oh, no, no. Right there. No. Yeah, you, you, you have low standards. <laughs> appreciate you tom bud <laughs> all right we'll talk to you next week jim gazzolo our friend from the lake charles american press joining us there talking all things meek nice we got to take a time out we'll update the poll question of the day that's all coming up next right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station your home for the lsu tigers and the world series champion houston astros RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Poll question of the day. What was the biggest reason why the Saints lost? Was it settling for field goals instead of getting touchdowns? Was it Ingram running out of bounds? I was a boneheaded play. 
was it the wide receivers dropping the balls like it was hot potato or was it the defense late in the game right now 44 percent of you say ingram out of bounds 22 percent say settling for field goals 18 percent say wide receiver drops 16 percent say defense a lot of you are saying is there an option for all of the above others have chimed in with other thoughts who that forever says i got nothing my man says i have nothing just he, he has he can't put words together because of how inexplicable it was darren chimes in not playing the right guys running ak outside and ingram up the middle or taste them at all i think z47 needs a new transmission it, uh Look, Ingram, we've talked about this before, kind of looks washed, right? He's on his last legs. If they had better depth, he probably wouldn't be playing. I think we can all admit to that. What happened to Alvin Kamara? Guy looks broken to me. Guy looks absolutely broken to me. Where's he at? I mean, I asked Ryan Hinton yesterday from the Saints Twitter podcast, I said, what's wrong? And he's like, don't know. Kamara has not been himself. Tavon Four says, you're missing a question. Dennis Allen doing Dennis Allen things. Doug on Twitter says, oh, I don't know. Let me go back to the tape. Hiring Dennis Allen to begin with. Then Winston and Michael Thomas being on the sidelines while the rest of the team is in the trenches. The season was doomed from the beginning. Brian Poche says the Saints are the new Falcons. Hashtag 16-3. I get it. A lot of y'all are angry. Many more of you have apathy. And I understand the thought process of singling out Mark Ingram. I really do. But it's the lazy thing to do. If he picks up the first down there, he just puts his shoulder pad down, gets the first down, you win the game. You can also win the game if you pick up the first down right afterwards on third and one. Why are you throwing a slant pass to Callaway on third and one? You're telling me you can't put Taysom Hill in at quarterback, line him up under center. Don't even put him in the gun. Line him up under center and just have him push forward to get the first down? Because you get the first down there, you win the ball game. Why are you throwing the ball on third and one? If you're worried about the linebackers stopping the run, those same linebackers, David and White, they're really good against the pass, too. They play sideline to sideline. The slant play is not a high percentage play there. It's just not. Making Kamara run up the middle, making Ingram go out to the outside, these are boneheaded decisions. You want to focus on Mark. I get it, but that's lazy. That's one in a litany of things that happened last night that prevented this team from winning the ballgame. The third and one play right afterwards. Not having Taysom Hill on the field for the third and one play. I know he had the bad drop earlier, but why isn't he on the field? If you can't run the football, which the Saints can't, they, they, they lack the ability to run the football. They just can't do it. It's not their thing. They can't do it. Why don't you put your Wildcat quarterback in that can at least, he's big, strong, he's what, six foot four, 235 pounds? you telling me he can't pick up a yard? Come on now. Let's be real for a moment. 
It's easy to make Mark Ingram the scapegoat. That's the easy thing to do. Let's do better. This is a team game. Why is Mark Ingram running to the outside? Why is Alvin Kamara running to the inside? Why are you calling a slant play on third and one? Why is Taysom Hill on the sideline? Why are the wide receivers dropping the ball constantly? Why is Andy Dalton taking a sack on play action? Why is Kirk Merritt, who was called up the day of from the practice squad, the only wide receiver on that pass play, the play action play where Dalton took the sack? And Andy Dalton takes terrible sacks all the time. And why couldn't the defense make a play in the last four and a half minutes? It's a litany of things. It's a poorly ran team from top to bottom. Poorly ran team from top to bottom. You want to make Mark the scapegoat? He's washed. It was a boneheaded play. You're exactly correct. It wasn't the only boneheaded play and boneheaded decision made in that game. It's a team game. Team takes the loss. GM, head coach, OC, quarterback, wide receivers, offensive line, defensive line, DBs, running backs, all of them. And how about if one of those drives where you had to settle for three because you're one of the worst red zone scoring teams in the league, what if you scored a touchdown on one of those? Then nothing would have mattered after that. How about that? Once again, team game. Team game. We've got to take a timeout. When we return, Connor O'Gare from Saturday Down South will join us. Talk college football playoffs, marquee bowl games, and the Heisman. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Camara bobbles it at the 20. He reels it in, and he's got the ball. What a catch by Camara. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the NFL. College football playoffs are set. And they actually got it right. The right four teams got in. Which I'm a little surprised by. Because I really didn't have faith in the committee. I <laughs> just, I did. I didn't. Now, I had more faith in our next guest who told me they're going to do the right thing. And I believe him, but I didn't believe them. He is the columnist reporter from Saturday Down South and SaturdayTradition.com. Connor O'Gara joins us now. Good morning, bud. How you doing? You know, I, I, I'm doing well. This, this week has kind of had my, it's had my head spinning a little bit. Um, I, I'm still just trying to process the fact that the selection committee did what we hoped and thought it would do two days later. Um, despite all the talk coming in about uh, potential madness, I, I'm just relieved to see that they did what was right and they didn't just defer to brands or matchups or, or whatever sort of conspiracy theories were thrown out there. But a lot of smart people thought that there was a chance. And I, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of your bud, you know, former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray, who, you know, y'all went back and forth on social media about this. But the way the committee talked about things and the way the committee, you know, had Alabama still even ranked in the top 10 with two losses and, and it felt like they were propping them up. It, you have to kind of understand, though, that the way the committee behaved did kind of give some signs and made people worry that they weren't going to do the right thing. Now, they ended up doing the right thing, Connor, to your point, 
But, you know, they did give some mixed messages the two or three weeks beforehand. Yeah, but I think there was still precedent, right? I mean, we were, we're in year nine of this system. Time is just flying by. I mean, that to me is baffling yes. to think about. But was this really going to be the first two-loss team to ever break through? I mean, think about that. Oh, and that's no. what I kept coming back to. And that's why I kept saying, yeah, you can rank them seven. That's fine. I still think that they had such limited upside and limited ability to rise. And look at all the things that happened around Alabama that worked out in their favor with Tennessee and, and Clemson both losing to South Carolina the last couple weeks of the season. Ohio State gets blown out. USC loses significantly in the Pac-12 championship. TCU loses in the Big 12 championship. All these things happened, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And that's why I was so adamant saying for the last three weeks, Bama doesn't have a pass. And even though they looked really good these final three weeks, they still had those two losses. And the selection committee has given us so much data to show that if you have those two losses and if you don't have a path to a conference championship, good luck. You better have some unbelievable wins. You better be dominating teams. And Alabama didn't have either of those things. I agree. And beating up on Austin P and, you know, interim coach Auburn, uh, not exactly something put on the resume. Uh, just, I'm, I'm just, just being honest there. Let me ask you this, with the four that are in, let's focus on that. Is, is in your opinion, opinion, is Georgia head and shoulders above everyone else, or can you make a case that Michigan could give them a run for their money if they meet up? Well, I, I, think, I think Georgia is, is clearly the favorite. I, I do. I absolutely do. But I do think that if there's a team that can get them, I think I tend to think that Ohio State is that team more so than Michigan. And, yeah, maybe Ooh. there's a part of me – that is still picturing 11 months ago when I was in Miami and I watched that Michigan team not even stay on the field with Georgia. I understand Michigan now has J.J. McCarthy, and it's different than running the offense with Kate McNamara. I saw that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line get dominated by Georgia's defensive line, and I'm still not sure that they'd be able to match up with Jalen Carter. That's not necessarily a matchup just yet. But the Ohio State thing is interesting because if you're going to beat this Georgia team, you've got to take a page out of the LSU playbook. LSU just had two different guys combined for over 500 passing yards. They hit on the chunk plays in the passing game. They were willing to test Keely Ringo. They were willing to say, oh, you've got a freshman uh, safety who's been amazing this year, Malachi Starks, but we still think that we can get him out of position. And sure enough, LSU did that. Now, they didn't do that in a winning effort, but that's the plan of attack to try and beat this Georgia team. You're not going to methodically have these 11 play drives. And I think that's kind of what Michigan still defaults to. And Ohio State doesn't need that. They've got Marvin Harrison Jr., they still have a prolific passing attack, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba, who we found out yesterday won't be playing in this game, but I think Ohio State's the team that can potentially push Georgia a little bit more. They're the team that I said coming into this year I thought was going to win a national championship, and they might have the DNA, but obviously you're going into Georgia, you're going into Atlanta, and that matchup is going to be extremely difficult with Kirby Smart getting four weeks to prepare. Last time Ohio State was a four seed, that was what, 2014? That kind of ended up pretty well for them Yep, that year as a, uh, you know, thumped Bama in the Sugar Bowl in the semifinals on the way to a national title. Let's talk about the other matchup because it intrigues me as well. TCU doesn't drop out even with a loss in the Big 12 championship game against a very good Kansas State team. They lose in overtime. Uh, Duggan, 
looks the part. He's a leader. He's got moxie. That offense can put up some points. Sonny Dykes has done an amazing job. A lot of people automatically are assuming that TCU has no chance against Michigan. What about you? I think it's going to be a great 60-minute game. I do. I, and, you know, I always temper my expectations with these semifinal games because they've historically not been very good. And it's been very rare that we've had a game that resembled the 2017 Rose Bowl with Georgia and Oklahoma. Like, those games in semifinal, they are few and far between. I'm hoping and praying that this one is close because that's what TCU has done all year. I mean, they were the first team since 1975 to win seven consecutive games by 10 points or less. You saw them battle back against Kansas State, a game in which they're down two scores in the fourth quarter. Like, this is what they do. They're going to leave it all out there. And I I think that this assumption that Michigan is just going to roll over them is very premature. And I understand Michigan has looked really good, and they looked awesome against that, against that Ohio State defense, even without Blake Corum. Donovan Edwards is still a stud, and they can still run the football extremely well. And if J.J. McCarthy is able to stretch the field, then obviously that's going to put a lot of pressure on this TCU defense. But I just think it's going to be a great down-to-the-wire game. I do. I, I feel like we're bound to get – some sort of a thrilling finish with a Michigan team that, you know, I don't know if they've seen a team that has that kind of toughness with the quarterback that can match. They've seen tough teams, right? Like even Iowa is still a tough team. They just don't have the offense to be able to match it. So I think it's a really intriguing matchup. And I think it's one that slightly favors Michigan. And I'm definitely not willing to say though, that Michigan's going to roll in this one. I know it's early. What's your gut tell you? who we're going to see in the championship game. My gut says we're getting a rematch of Michigan and Georgia. And that's, that's so predictable. It's so basic. It's so, I mean, it's the overwhelming thought right now, but man, you realize the SEC in these, in these playoff games, when they haven't faced each other, they're 12 and three. I mean, 12 and three. The last time that the SEC lost one of these games in a semifinal to a non SEC team well, I guess they haven't faced – it hasn't been SEC, SEC in semifinal games. But 2014 Alabama was the last time that we saw an SEC team lose in one of these types of settings in a semifinal game. And I just think what Georgia's done this year to get to 13-0 with a team that lost 15 players to the NFL draft, a team that lost their senior defensive captain in the middle of the season, like it's just unbelievable. And I'd have a tough time betting against Kirby Smart with that much extra time to prepare – they have truly been one of the great stories, one of the great feats in recent college football memory to do what they've done this year. So, yeah, I do think it ends up being a rematch, and everybody's asking the question, oh, can Michigan, you know, can they avenge last year's loss, last year's blowout loss against Georgia? But I think this is setting up still very favorably for the Dogs to be able to repeat. Connor, of the other marquee bowl games, the New Year's Six bowl games, which ones stand out to you? Which ones are you the most intrigued by and the one that you're going to want to make sure to, to cover or at least watch? The Orange Bowl. How about the most appropriately named bowl game to date, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. Tennessee and Clemson, uh, they're just hopefully going to wear all orange uniforms. That'd be great to see. A little bit confusing, but, you know, I, I think seeing the quarterback matchup is really intriguing. You know, Cade Klubnick, the way that he came out in that ACC championship, all of a sudden has Clemson fans Feeling like, all right, we can we can turn the page. We're, we're going to be good now with him moving forward. This is our our Trevor Lawrence. If he had played earlier, we would have been able to to get to the college football playoff. Maybe they maybe they would have been. I thought Dabo dug in his heels a little bit too much with DJ Uyunglele 
still crushing that pronunciation, by the way. Um, I, I think that this, this matchup is fascinating, though, with Tennessee and Joe Milton now. Joe Milton is trying to lock down that QB1 spot for next year. And before they get Nico coming in there, the true freshman, um, who's been a very hot topic in the NIL world, I think that seeing what he can do and seeing if he can kind of rein it in and, and show that he is better than a guy who ultimately lost his job to Hendon Hooker at the start of last year, I'm fascinated to see that one play out. I think both those teams have a lot to play for and would love to be able to overcome their, their frustrating endings uh, at the hands of South Carolina. The other one that stands out to me, two other ones that stand out to me, because I'm, I'm intrigued by all the, the New Year's Six Bowl games, is Alabama going to have any life in them? Because we've seen yeah. them not be in the playoff or not be in a championship game and lay eggs, particularly in the Sugar Bowl against Utah and Oklahoma spring to mind. How many of their guys are going to be declaring for the draft? And you know K-State is going to be amped up, ready to go. That intrigues me to see if Saban can actually get his team to kind of buy in and try to end the season on a, on a positive note. And the other one? USC versus Tulane. Great season yeah. for the Green Wave. First major bowl game since World War II, right? So that's been a while. The Trojans, how do they respond, right? And how do they answer? Is it going to be one of those classic, oh, we didn't get into the playoff and we're going to sleepwalk and underestimate our opponent who is playing for everything, who has nothing to lose? Those are the other two ones that really stand out to me. Yeah, and, and USC was a team that, like, you saw once Caleb Williams was hurt in that game, they fell apart. And, and to me, that's why he has gotten to this place where he is the betting favorite to win the Heisman Trophy because, man, they, they've dealt with a lot of injuries this year. And when they, when they, when they kind of had some of these pieces go down, they really needed their star quarterback to play at a different level. And he couldn't obviously for all four quarters of that game against Utah. So it is fascinating. And I think that's going to be a topic of discussion throughout bowl season is who has these quarterbacks in place that are returning and how can they help themselves moving forward next year? And that's a question I have about Alabama because I'm just going to assume that Jalen Milrow is going to be the, the starter in, in, in the bowl game, in the Sugar Bowl, and I don't know what the, what the case is going to be for Kansas State. If I would assume they're going to have Deuce Vaughn. Maybe Adrian Martinez comes back in that game. But Alabama's been a little bit of a mixed bag in these bowl games that haven't had playoff implications. And I think that 2019, I was there in Orlando for that game in which it kind of turned the page to the Mac Jones era. And he got a lot of confidence that day with being able to come out and have the showing that he did with those Alabama receivers. And I thought that really mattered. And I wonder if that matters for Jalen Milrow and for Alabama to deciding, hey, do we need to go to the transfer portal? Or does this guy look like he can lead us to the places that we want to go? And can we get back to a national championship with him as our starter? I think it's low-key, like really important for Alabama to see the future of their offense with potentially having to replace Bryce Young. Four Heisman finalists. Who's going to win it? So I can't, I can't share my, my ballot until after the fact. Um, that's a, that's the, the confidentiality agreement. This is my first year voting. Um, if I had to say Vegas usually always knows Vegas is pointing in the direction of Caleb Williams. It's, it's a weird year for the Heisman, the way that this played out. And I, I think there'll be a lot of people frustrated because Caleb Williams, obviously, with the way that things ended in the Pac-12 championship, the nail polish, like that whole deal, I think kind of rubbed people the wrong way. But I still think he probably is the betting favorite. And if you look at the history of the Heisman Trophy, we haven't seen a guy 
with less than 40 total touchdowns at the quarterback position, win the Heisman since Troy Smith, 2006. Caleb Williams passes that threshold with flying colors. The other guys don't necessarily. So he'd probably be my best guess to win the award. But it's just a weird year overall. And, you know, I think Blake Corum and Hendon Hooker, those guys getting hurt, Drake May falling apart at the end of the year. I think all these things kind of added to what just feels like, ah, just like a bizarre year that we really haven't had in recent memory. Connor, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy uh, some days off before bowl season comes around, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Sounds good. Appreciate it, man. We got to take a timeout, wrap up today's show, and get you set up for Kevin Foote in footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Final results poll question of the day was the biggest reason why the Saints lost. 44% of you say Ingram out of bounds. Kevin Foote agrees with you. He's going to pound the table. He's going to yell into the microphone. And he's going to blame the entire loss on one guy. He's probably going to blame the whole season on one guy as well. It's a team game, but you can blame one person for a loss. That's, that's an interesting thing. I don't think that actually matches up. Yes, I've been poking the bear all morning. You're welcome, by the way, for that. That's coming up. <laughs> I love them. I love them. But you can't say it's a team game and then blame a loss on one guy. That's just not how it works. Not how it works. Want to thank Hunter Bauer from Go Preps, Jim Gazzolo from Lake Charles American Press, and Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South for the producer extraordinaire, Miss Anna Five Names. I'm Raymond Parts the Third. We'll do it all again tomorrow. We'll try to be better from six to nine, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.